Tonight's reading is from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, and not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heats and withers the plants. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For gods cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits among all he created. This is God's word. Well, good evening, one and all. Uh, let me have my welcome. My name is Matt, if we've not met. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. I great God and Father, thank you for the unfailing honesty and realism of the scriptures. Thank you that here is a passage which addresses something that we all encounter each and every day, the temptation to sin. So Father, help us be realistic, understand what's going on within us. Would you increase our self-awareness so we are able to stand trusting in your goodness? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what temptations have assailed you this week. I think they come pretty thick and fast in lockdown. What would they have been for you? Uh, Self-pity at the situation, uh, anger, irritation uh, with other people, frustrations, uh, grumpiness. I don't know why everyone's smiling here. Uh, lust. Despair, they come pretty thick and fast, I think, at the moment. How have you handled them this week? I imagine it's mixed. And we're focusing on tonight really on the misstep we might make. So verse 13 puts it this way. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. When um, we're assailed with the temptations and we give in, we can't say it's God's fault. 
We can't say, God put me in this situation. We can't say, well, do we really say that out loud? Maybe we say it in our hearts. Perhaps more commonly is, um, I couldn't resist, or it doesn't really matter, or, oh well, God will forgive me. But I'm in a situation, I've given in, and it's not my fault. Don't say that. James wants to push upon us. You always have a choice. You always have a choice in how you respond to temptation. He'll say, look, don't be deceived, verse 16. How you respond, it matters to temptation. Or we might summarize it like this. When your faith is tested, don't blame God, but trust his goodness. Or, and you'll see why it's the same, when you face temptation, don't blame God. Trust his goodness. The book of James then, um, started to look at it. It, it. Really, in essence, how you live it really matters, says the book of James. Perhaps best known for chapter 2. Uh, what good is a faith without deeds? Useless. But um, you can see it even here in uh, chapter 1. Let's just introduce one of them. But this idea, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It comes up three times. Don't be deceived that you can just say that you're a Christian and that's okay. Don't be deceived you can say, I have faith in Jesus to take me to heaven. But live without him as your Lord. Don't be deceived by that. So we'll look tonight, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, giving into sin. It matters a great deal. Verse 22 of chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's no good if you're unchanged by sermons, studies, your own personal Bible reading. If you're unchanged, what's going on? Don't deceive yourself that you are healthy, state as a Christian. Or verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. Their religion is, ouch, worthless. Oh dear. Now look, genuine faith is seen in your behavior, says James. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ, it will impact your behavior. And tonight we're thinking about how to resist temptation because it matters that we do so. Don't be deceived. I think it doesn't really matter if we give it on temptation. It matters. It matters a great deal. Don't be deceived by that. So we're focusing on verses 13 to 18 tonight. Yet as some of you would have seen um, in uh, uh, discipleship groups, the whole of chapter 1 verses 1 to 18 really is about responding to trials or the purpose of trials. So um, we may have a little slide to help us. We get it uh, um, uh, So straight away, at the beginning of verse, chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Well, that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Consider it a joy. But the purpose of trials, we're told, verse 3, is you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work. That's what's meant to happen. An external trial comes upon us, and God gives us the strength to persevere in that trial, to not give in to sin. Well, let faith, or excuse me, let perseverance do its work, is what we're told. Uh, it's a bit like um, 
Imagine uh, someone's in the kitchen cooking, mum or dad are in the kitchen cooking something fun, cake, biscuits. And um, a child comes in and goes, mmm, nice, and sort of reaches for, uh, for something. And uh, mum or dad say, no, 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 we're not finished yet. Let mum finish the cake. Let dad finish the cake, then you can have one. Not yet. Don't just take the mixture from the bowl. Not yet. Let, let me finish my work, and then it's better. Here, let perseverance finish its work. Trial comes upon you, and you think, ah, oh, I just want to scream with anger. Well, don't give in. Let perseverance do its work. God is changing you. He's refining you, because as the rest of that path walks, if we got it on the slide, uh, trial produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And eventually we get to verse 12, because blessed is the one who perseveres, same word, under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. That's the virtuous path in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. You face an external trial. Life is hard, but you persevere. And through that perseverance, God grows maturity. And as maturity guarantees that you'll inherit a crown of life in heaven. That's what we're meant to do. But it doesn't always work that way. And verses 13 to 18 give us the other path that we're to avoid. External trial, tempted to self-pity, and down we go. So again, when trials come and you're tempted to give in, don't blame God, but trust his goodness. So we'll look at it like this. Okay. Temptations come from our desires, verses 13 to 15, but good gifts come from our Father, 16 to 18. Okay. Temptations come from our desires, verses 13 to 15, but good gifts come from our Father, 16 to 18. First then, verses 13 to 15, temptations come from our desires. Now, it is pretty important to understand that uh, in this passage, the Greek word to tempt is the same word as to test or to trial. And it's only context that tells you how to interpret it. But it does mean that it's the same topic throughout one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It unites uh, the whole section. So verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay. So he's never responsible for temptation, but he does test us, sends external tests on us. So for example, 1 Peter 4 verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you, for example. So life throws, God allows, external trials to come upon us. That is no excuse to say, well, God has made my life hard, therefore I have no choice but to give in and indulge my sin. Verse 14. What's actually taking place when we face external trials? Well, it's not God is tempting you. Rather, verse 14, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away 
by their own evil desire and enticed. So we're facing a trial. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a marriage is really hard and the, the, and the temptation is just to get out, even just for a little while with someone else or to abort the marriage altogether. It's a trial, it's a long-running trial that's gone on for months, years maybe. Okay, but what makes it into a temptation? It's your own desire, we're told, verse 15. Our own internal desires. They entice us, they whisper in our ears, you'd be much happier if you got out. You'd be much happier if you had an affair. You'd be much happier if you left him. Oh, life would be easier if you left her. That's not God doing that. That's our own desires internally testing us, tempting us. Um, again, it's the child going into the kitchen, smelling the cookies, not quite finished, and, and trying to pull them out of the oven, and parent says, no, let perseverance finish its work. Our desires, they sort of entice us. Now pause at this point. An important distinction therefore being made here is between temptation and sin. Temptation is not sin. We will face temptation, all of us, everyone. Jesus faces temptation or faced temptation. Everyone faces temptation. And when it comes, we have a choice. We either, one, trust God and say, please let perseverance do its work. Please let me persevere in following you faithfully. Please mature me through this, path one. Or, path two, we allow our desires to entice us. And according to verse 15, See, our own desires entice us. And verse 15, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. There's a point. Temptation comes upon us. And there's a point where our, our desires draw us towards sinning. And we either say no, or there's a point, I, I don't know quite when it comes, but there's a point where we say, okay. And our desire conceives sin, and sin takes place. So if you get that chart up again, you can see those first. There's, there's somewhere between a trial or temptation coming upon us, excuse me, uh, trial rather, coming upon us. We're enticed by our, our desires, therefore it becomes a very strong temptation. And somewhere between the trial and desire giving birth to sin, somewhere along that line, the temptation becomes a sin. Don't know quite where it is, but somewhere along that line. Temptation is not sin. So every single one of us, we do have the strength to walk path A and not walk path B because God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear. It's helpful also to make sense of some other passages, something like a, a, a Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he didn't sin. Uh, let's get that thing up one more time. Um, so if you get the, the, the whereas we, and uh, let's have Jesus. Um, there we go. So Jesus knew temptation, biblically we're told. So there he is, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And 
his desires, not evil, but his desires entice him and whisper to him, choose comfort and ease, not the cross. Choose your own will, not your father's will. So Jesus faces temptation just like we do, but he didn't walk down the path. He didn't go from trial, allowing desire to give birth to sin. So you, you see, somewhere along that line, temptation conceives with evil desi- with desires, and outcome the outcome is sin. So do you see those stages? Uh, let's get them back up again. Uh, so verse 15, let's finish the, uh, finish the sequence. Desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So again, the, the James's picture is you start down a certain path, you give in to anger at a certain point, and then it becomes a habit. It becomes fully grown. It goes through its teenage years, becomes a young adult. It's fully grown as a sort of pattern of life. Well, unless there's repentance, that's going to lead you right away from Jesus. It's going to lead you to spiritual death, eternal death, eventually. Which path will you walk down, says James? I think realistically, we, we, we often, not always, but sometimes we do know the moment in our heads where, where we're really aware of the choice. We're facing a difficult situation. Temptation comes. Our, our evil desires start to um, sort of entice us to give in to temptation. And, and sometimes we're really aware of it and think, maybe I shouldn't, but I'll stuff it, I will. Sometimes we're aware of that. We think the consequences can't be that bad. But James says, no, you're, you're developing habits here. These sins can grow up. Just be careful. Repent. So I don't know, here's a, here's a, here's a daft way of expressing it. Uh, Andy, let's call Andy. Andy is in a really stressful uh, lockdown house. It's just not a great place. There's not enough space for everyone who's living there. There's, there's nothing to do for entertainment. Um, there's one 20-piece jigsaw that they've done five billion times, uh, and the internet is broken, so they can't even watch Netflix. It's just a boring house. Uh, there's far too little space, and um, they're just all getting on one another's nerves a, a little bit. Nothing dramatic. Anyway, one day it's cold. One day Andy comes down for lunch. He thinks, oh, I'll make myself a nice toasted sandwich. Someone else has finished the bread. There's no bread in the house. And uh, and he has a choice. He has a choice. Could do A, which is, um, probably need to speak to the gang later about uh, making sure we have enough bread. But, um, oh well, tuna soup, that'll do. Warm me up. And he gets on with it. Or B, he just gives in to his anger. Now, he's not an aggressive person. He's a passive aggressive, so he doesn't explode. But he's just snarky for the rest of the day. Um... The rest of the week, he talks about bread, every conversation. You know, just keeps bringing it up. You eat all the bread today, have you? You know, just just won't let it go. And so his relationship with his housemates, family, whatever it is, becomes just a little bit angrier and angrier. A pattern starts to develop. So patterns grow. That's James's warning. Not that every time you bungle, every time you stumble and give in to sin, right, that's it, spiritual death. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. But he is saying these are paths we start to walk down. Which direction are you walking in? If you're conscious that you've given in to a certain pattern of of, of sin, of temptation, repent. Turn around. Trust God. 
So don't blame God. Don't blame God, excuse me, don't blame God or uh, circumstances. Life will throw all kinds of trials from, uh, at you, but temptations come from within. Temptations come from our sinful desires. By contrast, verses 16 to 18, good gifts come from our Father. Okay, verses 16 to 18, good gifts come from our Father. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, referring back to verse 13, this false idea that God is tempting me. No, don't be deceived. It's your own desires which take an external trial and turn it into an internal temptation. Don't be deceived. And don't blame God because verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Literally, uh, every good giving and every perfect gift comes from above. I mean, sort of almost nonsensical language. Every good giving and every perfect gift. In other words, all you have, which is good, comes from above. Strikes me, there's at least three aspects to that here. Uh, First, just everything we enjoy. Everything we enjoy. It is so important in resisting temptation to know that God is good. He is a good father. And everything you have which you enjoy is from him. Uh, For many years we had uh, a a children's book in the house uh, based upon this verse. And um, it's called Count Yourself to Sleep. And I don't remember it all, but the chorus line was... Count yourself to sleep. Count yourself to sleep. Before you wink, before you blink and think you're going to nod, count each good and perfect gift. They all come from God. And you know, teddy bears and chocolate and cakes and all sorts of things. We went through a whole long list of things uh, in the verses. Twee? Yeah, yeah. But, but very healthy. Count yourself to sleep by giving thanks. I, uh, I can't remember, I, I, I think I told the evening or the morning congregation, but um, my mother in the last few months of her life, you know, in terrible pain, uh, dying of cancer, and uh, the, the misery, lockdown, loneliness, all sorts of, uh, miserable, it was miserable in many, many ways. But she would often say, there's always something in the, you know, I go to bed, and there's always at least something in the day I can really give thanks for. It's a discipline. It's a habit to find that sometimes. It's very healthy. So everything we enjoy, he gives good gifts. Uh, Secondly here, another aspect here, must be the trials which mature us in context. They are a good gift. They're designed to produce perseverance, produce maturity, and therefore we grasp hold of the crown of life. Even trials are good gifts from God. And you need to believe that for you, not just in some sort of nebulous, God is sort of good, generally way. Um, as we were going to start going through the book of Ruth and uh, this evening, and uh, Ruth chapter 1, so let me do it anyway. Ruth chapter 1, um, Naomi, Naomi loses her husband, her two sons, and then she makes two contradictions contradictory statements and the commentators don't know quite what to do with them because on one hand she says to her two daughters-in-law may the Lord bless you 
So he uses God's personal name, the Lord, Yahweh, may Yahweh bless you. Oh, so she's still a believer. But then she also says, he has left me bitter. He's not treated me well. The Lord's hand has turned against me. So one of says, may the Lord bless you, on the other hand, but not for me. The Lord has given up on me. He's afflicted me. And what do you do with that? One is a statement of faith, one is, one is not. Well, she's... God is good, generally. I know that. I'm a believer. God, but not for me. He's just looked over me. I know he's good mostly to most of his people. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, yeah, just not me. Because my life has gone so terribly wrong. Then, of course, at one level, the book of Ruth is the story of how Naomi gets everything. She's lost, restored to her, and more in one sense. She becomes part of the heritage of the Messiah, Jesus. He's good. So he's good in everything we enjoy, good in the trials that mature us. And verse 18, he gives us the greatest gift of all because he gives us new birth. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. New birth. A believer on your way to heaven with God's spirit dwelling within you so you do have the strength to live differently. God is the father of lights. That is, I think he created the whole of the galaxy or the whole of the universe and he manages it. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's constantly a good father who gives you good gifts. He doesn't have an off day. I am a mediocre father most of the time. Now, my default setting is always to give good gifts to my son, but some day at times I have bad days. I have a grumpy day, and he receives from me an earful, which he doesn't need. It's not very helpful. Um, but most of the time, good. yeah, yeah, God is always good. And when a trial comes and it hurts, he's not having a bad day. He's a good father. And he uses trials to mature us. So when your faith is tested, and when temptation bubbles up, don't say, God's fault. Do say, he's good. I trust his goodness. And of course, about an hour or whatever, an hour ago, I read through my notes and thought, yeah, yeah, all helpful, all true, explains the text. But in the moment, it's just in the moment, in the moment when temptation boils, I can't do all this in, in the moment. No, no. And I guess that's why we orientate ourselves each day at the beginning of the day. God is good. He gives good gifts. I can trust him even in the midst of trials. You need others to say that to you. Because it's true. Trials come. Faith is tested. But even that is a good gift from a father who never holds anything back that is for your good. You can trust him. Let's pray together. Our father, thank you for gritty realism here in James chapter 1. We, we all know that, that, that we can walk down that path, the path of temptation, the path of allowing sins to entice us, allowing them to grow up, of sin being conceived and taking place. We, we know that. 
Father, we know also that you're good. But Father, I pray this evening, would your goodness and would our trust in your goodness allow us to resist sin and not blame you, but look to you and give thanks. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.